What's the difference? Oh, wow. You are a hard man to reach. Could not find you in Seattle and no terminal is in operation at your classified address. In the 1980s, as computers made their way into our homes and into our lives, the movie War Games had everyone worried about a cyber-started nuclear war. Now, fast forward 25 years, and the cyber war worry, well, it's grown and it's becoming even more threatening. A security threat different than anything else we've ever faced before. Sony is still dealing with the fallout from hackers who stole millions of pages worth of documents, including emails from top executives, health records of employees, private information about mega movie stars, and a whole lot more. Well, Bill, good morning. The Sony Pictures hack is deeply worrying to the U.S. intelligence community because it's believed to be the first time destructive malware has targeted a firm inside the U.S. And it's similar to the physically destructive attacks on Iran's nuclear program with Stuxnet and the attack on Saudi Aramco where 30,000 computers were affected. Do you remember that? It's almost four years ago. A hacker group called Guardians of Peace leaked a massive amount of confidential data from Sony Pictures. The group demanded that Sony pull the film The Interview. It was a comedy about a plot to assassinate North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Aside from deploying malware to erase Sony's computer's infrastructure, the group threatened terror threats at any theaters that actually screened the film. And according to Stanford Center for International Security and Cooperation, it was the beginning of something much more dangerous. It was the beginning of a cyber nightmare so bizarre that not even Hollywood screenwriters could have imagined it. Now, we know that the cyber attack was eventually attributed to the government of North Korea. It was one of the most damaging cyber attacks in American history, and it was perpetrated by one of the most isolated and poorest countries on Earth. We all have to face it. The age of cyber war, it's here. It's real. It doesn't just affect big government or media moguls. It actually affects all of us, our families, our neighbors, and our friends. I'm America's digital pro, Kim Commando. In this podcast, we're going to look at cyber warfare. We're going to explore how nations are turning the internet into really just a battlefield. And I'm going to share some really important information about how you can prepare and protect yourself. From commando.com, this is Commando On Demand, where we talk to the industry movers and shakers, the people who know the inside scoop, so that this way you're up to date on everything digital. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor in this podcast. Okay, imagine this scenario. You wake up in the middle of the night next December. The power's out. You look out the window and you see all the houses around you are dark. Then you look further and you realize that it's actually the entire city is blacked out. The temperature's dropping. You're worried that the pipes in your house will freeze and burst. You try and call 911 on your cell phone, but the line just keeps ringing busy. The blackout continues into the morning. A few emergency generators around the city are powering some emergency shelters. After moving your family into the warm space, you actually have to start making plans to leave the city. There are only a few operational ATMs in your neighborhood. And gosh, there are just these lineups in front of all of them. You really don't carry much cash anymore because, well, let's face it, there's Apple Pay and there's all those credit cards. 
but there's nothing you can do. You have to stand in the long line. And when you finally get to the point where you can put in your PIN number, the bank says your account isn't accessible. This means you don't have any money. You can't buy any gas to drive out of the city. So you and your family are stuck. Solid, reliable information is hard to come by. The internet's down. Don't even think of going there. City, state, and federal websites, they're offline too. And maybe even the local radio stations, they're not transmitting either. As the blackout enters its second night, panic starts to set in. Everyone realizes this is actually happening. Unbeknownst to you, the blackout was actually the result of a state-sponsored hack of the local power grid. It took dozens of substations offline. At the same time, the same hackers launched a denial-of-service attack on government websites, on the banks, on the newspapers, on the radio stations, on the TV stations, on the water treatment facilities. This kind of attack is not hypothetical. It's actually happened to several countries over the last decade. And many experts believe, well, America's next. I'm gonna take you back to 2007 right now, to a tiny Baltic country of Estonia. It's a former Soviet Republic, and Estonia has had a difficult relationship with Russia, to say the least, ever since the end of communism. That relationship got even worse after Vladimir Putin came to power. In 2007, the Estonian government announced plans to remove a bronze statue. It was right in the capital city of Tallinn. The statue was erected 60 years before to honor the Red Army soldiers who defeated the Nazis during World War II. But for many Estonians, the bronze statue was a symbol of occupation. They didn't want it anymore. You see, the Red Army remained in Tallinn for 45 years after the end of the war. But the plan to remove the statue outraged Russian nationalists. But Estonia declared independence in 1990, and the country actually became a member of NATO. The military alliance headed by the United States ensured that Russia would never invade Estonia again. So instead of launching a conventional military strike, the Russians, they used a new weapon. On April 27, 2007, a series of cyber attacks hit the Estonian government offices, the banks, the newspapers, the broadcasters. The attackers used botnets to swamp Estonian websites with denial-of-service attacks. Those bots would ping targeted websites thousands of times every single second. Eventually, it just took them offline. The attacks continued for weeks and severely disrupted life, as you might expect, in Estonia. Jason Healy is a cybersecurity expert at Columbia University. He says that ultimately, the Russian attack failed. But even in the midst of this online assault, the Estonians moved the statue. So I see, fine, yes, a tactical defeat for the Estonians, but an operational victory. The Russians failed in coercing the Estonians. The Russians didn't just lose operationally, but strategically as well. They tried to bring down the Estonians, but now the Estonians are renowned for their cybersecurity expertise. They travel the world giving cybersecurity advice. And now NATO is warned about this Russian tactic. So NATO did not care about cyber attacks prior to this in 2007. After this, at the highest level of NATO, they said, we have to have plans, we must have budgets, we have to have a cyber center, 
And you know what? They built that cyber center in Tallinn, Estonia. You need to stay with me because you may be sitting there right now thinking, oh, well, this has nothing to do with me. This is happening in Estonia. Well, hang with me because I'm gonna explain it all in a second. Because the attack in Estonia may have been a failure for Russia's new cyber weapon, but I have to tell you, they were just warming up. In 2014, Russia invaded the Ukraine after a popular uprising overthrew a corrupt Kremlin-backed government in that country. As the war dragged on in the Ukraine's eastern territory, the Russians deployed another weapon. In 2015, 250,000 Ukrainians were left without power after hackers successfully infiltrated three energy companies. I'm talking about 30 substations were turned off for about six hours. Then, one year after the first attack, it happened again. This time, about one-fifth of the city of Kiev was left in the dark. Andy Greenberg investigated those attacks for Wired Magazine last year. He told CBS News all about what he discovered. Well, there are actually two. So in December 2015, for the first time in history, hackers, who we believe now were Russian hackers, took down the power for a quarter million Ukrainians in three regions of the country. And then they, they struck again a year later. And it's not only that, but their attacks are evolving. And in, in 2015, they were attacking these distribution stations that are kind of like the capillaries of the electric system. In 2016, they took down a transmission station, which is more like an artery. Disturbing progression happening. Russia is at war with Ukraine. And they want to destabilize the country. They want to, you know, to make it look like a failed state. Uh, but then I think the really disturbing thing is that they're also using Ukraine as a testing ground for attacks that they're honing to possibly use against Western Europe or the United States in the future. Greenberg believes that the second attack in 2016 should have us more worried than the first, even though it was much less destructive it actually used a new kind of weapon. So in the second of these two power grid attacks, they only took the power down for one hour, but they used an incredibly sophisticated new piece of malicious software that automated the whole attack and seems designed to be used again. So that's maybe like the most chilling aspect of this is that they have a reusable, adaptable weapon that they're going to want to use again. The Ukrainians were able to bounce back from the second attack relatively quickly, only out of sheer luck. You see, most of their power grid isn't automated. That meant once the attack began, they were able to manually restart the grid. This isn't the case here in the United States because we have a much more advanced grid, as you might expect. Michael Asante is an expert on securing infrastructure. He told a group of military officers at West Point recently all about what's at stake. In the United States, I would contend somebody say, well, it's apples to orange comparison. I disagree with that statement on a cyber level. I said, no, this is the same type of automation technology. Uh, our distribution utilities, not that the Ukrainians were so immature in their technology use that they didn't know what they were doing. Our distribution utilities are very similar. What's different here is we're way more automated and more networked. We actually can't operate without our SCADA DMS system very long. Especially if we're trying to restore a system, that would be a nightmare. The Ukrainians were able to do that. So I would argue that um, technology is deceptive. You become reliant before you know it. And that's exactly where we've been during most of our system. We're already way past that stage. Because the U.S. is the most connected country in the world, we're also the most vulnerable country to this kind of attack. Our power grid and other critical infrastructure is so highly automated and connected. That makes us a prime target for countries like Russia, China, or maybe even North Korea. 
Fred Kaplan is a journalist with Slate and the author of the book, Dark Territory, The History of Cyber War. He told the World Affairs Conference in 2016 that when it comes to these larger scale attacks, the rules are not well understood. The thing is, there are no rules of the road. Unlike nuclear weapons, where there is a very thick red line between not using nuclear weapons and using nuclear weapons, which is one reason why nobody has used any, because you might say, we could get a nice military advantage by using this one kiloton nuclear weapon, but nobody knows what might happen afterwards. With uh, cyber attacks, there are already a zillion of them. And, you know, who knows what everybody's thinking is about the line between a nuisance and a real threat in between the Russian cyber attacks in 2007 and 2015. Well, that's when the United States got into the game. In 2010, a new piece of malware began to infect computers all around the world. You might remember it. It was called Stuxnet. There are plenty of worms that roam around the internet infecting computer systems. But what made Stuxnet unique was its sheer size. It was just enormous compared to other types of malware. The size and complexity of Suxnet led many researchers to believe that it only could have been created by a state-sponsored group. It was that sophisticated. Then, as researchers dug deeper and deeper into the code, it actually revealed that Stuxnet was targeting a very specific kind of machinery, exactly the kind of machinery that is used in centrifuges for the enrichment of uranium. Carrie Natchenberg is the vice president of the global cybersecurity company, Symantec, and they investigated Stuxnet. Warfare, cyber warfare against physical infrastructure is absolutely feasible, okay? Whoever did this shows, showed that it can be done again. And by the way, there are far simpler attacks than attacking a nuclear enrichment facility. You can attack hydro and power, which are, by the way, not well secured. I guess it's a wake-up call. And the problem is it's very difficult to protect against this because the reality is that Stuxnet bypassed everything we had. Now remember, this is malware. Stuxnet appeared to speed up and slow down the centrifuges in such a way that they would just explode. Exactly the kind of explosion that had occurred months earlier at an Iranian nuclear facility. Okay, New York Times reporter David Sanger was able to confirm through leaks at the Pentagon that Suxnet was actually the joint creation of the United States and Israeli governments. Their target was the Iranian nuclear program. And it worked. The Iranian program was set back years. Many believe it directly led to mullahs agreeing to enter into negotiations to disarm. Suxnet was a huge success. But Sanger believes that the U.S., well, we may have let the genie out of the bottle. It gives states a way to influence other states without going to war. I mean, people use the phrase cyber war, but the ways we've seen it used most recently have been attacks that walk right up to the level that would lead to a military response, but not quite get there. So we believe it was the Russians who shut down the power system in Ukraine in December. The Iranians attacked Saudi Aramco. Uh, the North Koreans attacked Sony. Each of those were designed to be just short of something that would result in a bomber showing up over your, over your capital or missiles flying in. The problem with the use of cyber weapons by democratic countries is that we haven't had much of a debate about them. Few Americans know of their existence. 
and even fewer fully understand the implications of us using them. Sanger says the government needs to have this frank and open discussion with the public because after all, we're entering this new age of cyber war. It's very hard to design a deterrent to this kind of thing if you are not willing to talk about what your capability is. So the United States has spent billions of dollars, built U.S. Cyber Command, which runs alongside the National Security Agency. And yet, because the United States has never acknowledged Stuxnet, Olympic Games was the code name for it, uh, or any other cyber operations they've done, they can't get into a discussion about how you deter other countries from attacking us. Sanger has his unlikely ally in his call for a more open discussion about cyber war. It's the former head of the CIA and NSA, guy by the name of Michael Hayden. Hayden believes that the government has overclassified information about cyber weapons. Why don't we have consensus? Well, we really haven't had an adult conversation about it. So why haven't we had an adult conversation about it? Because frankly, not enough information has been made public about it. And bless me, Father, for I have sinned, it applies to everybody. The private sector doesn't make enough information public because it has real impact on business success or failure. And the government doesn't make enough information public about it because it overclassifies this stuff. I understand the need for secrecy, all right? But if we're gonna get to consensus, then we gotta share some data. We're just gonna have to let a little bit more of this be known so that we can all have a, a discussion. I mean, that's what democracies do. Okay, so we went to Estonia, we went to the Ukraine, we went to Iran, we started talking about some really sophisticated malware. So, two years ago, we totally had a wake-up call here in America. You know what I'm talking about, the 2016 elections. Coming up in this Commando On Demand podcast, we're gonna talk about what role did cyber warfare play in our presidential election? Plus, Russians are now targeting Americans in our own homes, and you could be part of that. So stay right where you are, because we're gonna cover all of that, and then I'm gonna share some tips to make sure that you can write it all out. You know it, and I know it. There's been a lot of focus on Russian hacking in the wake of the 2016 election. The CIA and other U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded the Russian government was behind the email hack into the Democratic National Committee and other political organizations. The full details of what the Russians did are only just really starting to come out. It appears to be this massive disinformation campaign combined with a few hacks. They flooded social media sites like Facebook and Twitter with fake news to kind of try to turn Americans against one another. That was combined with the hack of the emails of the DNC, which totally revealed the troubling behavior of the Clinton campaign. The director of national intelligence, James Clapper, reported their findings to Congress. This uh, was a multifaceted campaign. So the hacking uh, was only one part of it. Uh, and it also entailed um, you know, classical propaganda, uh, disinformation, fake news. Does that continue? Yes. As dangerous as that attack was on American democracy, it didn't target critical infrastructure like other cyber attacks. Michael Hayden believes it's unlikely that Russia would risk massive retaliation by trying to take down our power grid. But Russia, as I'm sure you know, 
isn't the only player in this game. I'm beginning to worry about the mid-range, isolated, rogue nation-state actor. The North Korea, or in some circumstances, the Iran, who out of desperation might actually try to go do something like that. Just a few months ago, on my national radio show, and over on Commando.com, and in my USA Today column, I warned about the Russian hackers targeting everyone's home routers. As a matter of fact, just weeks after I reported on that, the FBI itself issued a warning for everyone to change the router passwords immediately. But you actually need to do more than that. Of course, you should have a hard-to-guess password, but you really should reset your router back to factory defaults. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, I am not going to give you the step-by-steps here in the podcast. Just head over to my website, commando.com. That's, of course, K-O-M-A-N-D-O.com. And search for Russian router. And I'm sure one of the top articles will be how to make sure you're not the next victim. If the Russians are in your router, they have access to every single thing that passes through your network. Think about that. All your passwords, all your usernames. In addition to that, they can take over every connected device in your home, from your smart appliances to your smartphone. Everything's vulnerable. So don't delay, don't put this off. You really need to do this. These Russian hackers are sneaky and sophisticated. It's just not some pimply-faced kid tinkering in a basement. These guys are well-funded and well-organized. And they're looking to use our personal routers against us. Security researchers at Cisco warn that Russian hackers have infected at least a half a million routers across the globe with this malicious software. It has a name. It's called VPN Filter. The Russian government is presumed to be behind it because the malware uses code found in previous cyber attacks carried out by Russia. You remember those Ukrainian attacks? That's what we're talking about. The VPN malware allows hackers to have remote access to all these infected devices. It also has something called an auto-destruct feature. That allows the cyber criminals to delete the malware along with any other software on infected machines that would make them inoperable. This is such a big deal. We did a whole Commando On Demand podcast all about Russian hacking and what you need to do. On commando.com, just click the podcast link at the top of the page, and then you can search for Russian hacking. And don't forget to share this really important information with your family and friends. So there's no doubt a full-scale cyber war is a very real possibility in the 21st century. But, okay, you shouldn't really panic about it. A mass shutdown of the power grid would be disruptive. It would be costly. But you have to think about how it would affect your own life. The risks are real. The defense against the scenario I outlined at the start of this podcast is really simple. You need to be prepared. I know, the whole Boy Scout thing. It's the same as preparing for any disaster. You want to have an emergency kit in your home. You need flashlights. You need batteries. You need non-perishable food. And you need cash. Enough to help you get through a couple of weeks if necessary. And don't forget you need blankets and pet food, all your medications, and plenty of water. And make sure you have a plan with your family about what to do if we're knocked off the power grid. This is so serious. The Department of Homeland Security has a full list of things that you need to do to prepare. You'll find a link to it on my website over at commando.com. So what's our takeaway here? We're not going to be online hermits. The U.S. has survived massive attacks like Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and terrorist bombings. We as a nation have the strength and resolve like no other nation. We know we're targets. 
but cyber war is the new weapon. The challenge for our elected officials and our military members is to be always one step ahead, maybe two or three if possible. We can't afford to be caught by surprise. Our soldiers have a new boot camp of sorts, kind of like the Army's Hacker University, where cyber warriors are taught their craft. As one Army officer said recently, future fights aren't going to be guns and bullets. They're going to be ones and zeros. So my question to you, are you ready? I'm Kim Commando, and thanks for listening to this podcast. Always remember, I'm watching out for you with security alerts, information you need to protect yourself in this crazy digital world. And you can find more about this and many other topics on my website. That's commando.com, of course, K-O-M-A-N-D-O.com. And if you like this podcast, do me a huge favor. Give it a great five-star review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. You see, your positive feedback helps more people find our podcasts. And after all, knowledge is power.